Welcome to Business Unmuted, a business discussion programme for the north of England, which is also available on all good podcast sites. The programme is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. If you're in the market for a new used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Moulton or York. Now, the economy. Our uh, economy is doing okay if you look at one bit, if you look at another, not so much. One economic confidence index has seen a drop to a 17-month low as prices surge and households tighten their belts. GFK's Consumer Confidence Index fell 5 points to minus 31 in March, the fourth consecutive fall. The spectre of a recession is looming over us, but is it all doom and gloom? The Lloyds Bank latest business barometer, 10 out of 14 UK sectors recorded output growth and all 14 reported rises in employment. Perhaps a positive sign that the recruitment issues facing businesses previously are beginning to wane. Now they're fully staffed and businesses appear ready to go. Well, my guests today are all in different sectors. Uh, Steve Turner is the Police and Crime Commissioner for Cleveland. Damien Harrison is the Head of Operations at Bondgate IT. And down the line, we've got Bob Borthwick, Director at Scott Brothers. Now, Bob, we'll start with you. We just had a little bit of a look at the uh, economy there. Just remind our viewers and listeners what you, your business does. Yeah, we're a waste management business and recyclers in Teesside. We've been in Teesside in business for 50 years. Um, and we are going from strength to strength at the moment. We, we are investing in a new wash plant at Grangetown, which is costing £5.2 million. And we did get a government grant from Tees Valley Combined Authority towards that. Uh, so the, the business is actually on great footing at the moment. The issue we have is obviously the imposition of the white diesel in place of red diesel for the plant for um, operating the screens and crushers within the business and other other sort of plant ancillary, ancillaries, um, which combined, if you put all that together in terms of a cost per annum, is going to add a cost of £600,000 to the business, which obviously the business can't absorb. Yes. Um, so that's going to be passed down the uh, supply chain to clients. So ultimately, the clients are going to have to pay for that extra Absolutely. Extra cost. Now, for people um, who are w watching or listening to this outside of Teesside, your your trucks and their big heavy trucks, with Scott Brothers written on them, mm. they're ubiquitous in the northeast of England. And they have skips on the back, or they're, they're mm. loading waste and reprocessing mm. waste, and they're all over the place. So I can imagine that the fuel is one of the biggest costs. How 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 big is it even compared to wages? Um, the, 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 the fuel cost is quite rightly is, is, is nearly on par with, with, with salaries, with the wage cost. There are not many the business. businesses that you could say yeah. that for. Yeah. Yeah. So, so obviously we, we, we try to absorb as much cost as we, we can to help clients, but obviously this is just a, a bridge too far, obviously with, with, with 600,000 pound per annum. So obviously that will be traveling through the supply chain so that, uh, you know, obviously, it's going to cost them more for skips. It's going to cost more for aggregates. It's going to cost more for for um, topsoil and the like uh, of, of what we produce. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 so yeah. So your 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 default position is uh, a price uh, uh, increase. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that the customer base you've got will absorb the price increase, or do you think that you will also have to put some productivity gains in and some cost controls? 
Well, we, we, we have con cost controls in place anyway as part of the uh, best practice with mm. our uh, operations. Uh, so really, yeah, it's, it's going to be a straight price increase that um, clients are going to have to pay. And I just want to point out to viewers and listeners that you are not alone. I, I, I no. know for a fact we, I was talking to a very se senior leader in the industrial construction sector uh, just uh, yesterday. Uh, he's working on £300 million worth of construction projects, so we're not talking about a trivial small business no. that's wanting to, to put their prices up. No, this guy was talking about red diesel being a significant uh, uh, cost saving to business, and when you take it away, it puts the prices up. You know, JCB bees and, uh, and 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 yeah. general construction equipment they're yeah. not the most fuel efficient though I know that no. the British made ones are trying their best it is significant mm -hmm. what do you think the government should do uh, I think the government should uh, review the uh, the imposition of the uh, white diesel on all plant items I think it was a bad idea to introduce that and the economic effects is is going to be uh, very very significant mm. I think suppose it's it's one of those changes in tax that affects specific sectors. And going back to the 1980s, when Nigel Lawson first put VAT on fish and chips, mm. uh, once it's done, you all the protest happens, you're making a very good case. But once it's done, governments tend to not revisit it. I can't see that uh, an, an opposition uh, opposition party, if they were in government, would, would unwind it. So perhaps mm. you are stuck with it. But your, your plea on this programme, and influential people do watch this programme, is review and reconsider. Yeah, absolutely. All right, absolutely. Bob. We'll come back to you in the general discussion a little later. Steve, yeah, sure. uh, Steve Turner, you're a police and crime commissioner in Cleveland. You're also an elected politician. You're a conservative yes. politician. The the budget or mini budget, the spring statement last week, did go down pretty badly. Um, how do you feel facing voters and talking to people in politics about how Rishi did? I, I agree. I, I don't think it went down well at all. And I would purely sympathise with Bob there on the red diesel, but even for an organisation like Cleveland Police, the fact that we've got the, the massive fuel increases we've got, we've got hundreds of vehicles, and unlike lots of businesses, our vehicles are on the road 24-7. They, they never sat there. Um, it's one of the reasons we don't look at electric vehicles, because they never stood still long enough to charge. And when I look at the, the, cost of, the increased cost of fuel this year, the increased cost of energy costs and things like that, I know as a business, Cleveland Police is going to have to find those those savings economically to make sure we cover those costs. So that is going to impact on some areas. So it's not just about what it does to your ordinary man or woman in the street. It's about what it does for those big organisations that have no option. It, it's not like we can say, "Oh well, we're not going to we're not going to run between midnight and four because we we have to run between midnight and four. So we've got those costs, and we're going to have to absorb those costs from within. Um, what we're already granted and what we already raised from from local taxes. They clearly understand the issue. Do you do you think that Rishi Sunak has had some options and to taken some difficult decisions? Yes, but maybe he didn't take the right decisions. It, the Conservative government has had a reasonable track record in the north. It's won seats. Yeah. Uh, you won a seat on the back of uh, Boris's popularity as well as your own platform. And and is is it really the case that Rishi got it wrong, or has he done the unpopular thing for the right reason and I think that's a great point it's easy for me to sit here and be critical however we've come through an unprecedented pandemic the uncertainty of, of what's happening in the Ukraine with Russia at the moment means you can't just throw everything fiscally 
back into the economy right now you've got to you've got to sit back you've got to keep something in reserve because we don't know what the next 12 or 18 months going to look like so whilst i feel we could have done more right he's far better placed than i am to have made the decisions and i think overall as a government broadly speaking our economy is in a much better place than it could have been you, you look at what we did through the pandemic with furlough and things like that we've got to draw that back somewhere down the line and I, I think the decisions he's made are tough decisions and i think he's had to make them and whilst we're all going to feel some pain from them i'm not really sure he's left with a lot of other options uh, i'm not going to labor this too much because i've got some uh, police related and cybercrime related issues to talk about but um you obviously uh, are an employer as well cleveland police bob and i are employers and not only has Bob got to find the extra diesel, he's got to find the other 1.25% on some of his staff, like me. Our national insurance is going up. So as employers, yep. we can have a bit of a whinge, can't we, Bob? Um, Absolutely. <laughs> well, we love a good whinge, but, uh, and, and, I, and I'm with you, I don't like the extra tax. But Bob, is, is, has Steve got a point? 83 billion a year, the interest payment on the national debt now. It's a lot of money. If he doesn't draw a line somewhere and, you know, as a small business, I've been caught with national insurance. As a, a, a business in waste management, you caught with, with, with red, red diesel uh, restrictions. Uh, we, we've been we've been hurt by it, but is it understandable? I mean, being in business like like you and I, obviously, clients are, are our number one priority and our number one revenue generator. Um, ultimately, like I said earlier, the supply chain is going to suffer. That 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 cost is going to have to go to clients and ultimately the cost of of everything will, will increase to a certain degree because someone has to pay for this all right so, but, so i don't think you know at the end of the day he's got options but um i understand his predicament to a certain degree but you know but there you the he's probably made the wrong choices as far as i'm concerned <laughs> there we are all right that's it fair point well made let's move on to the next bit um steve you have got a special event it's on april uh the 11th and it's about cyber security. Tell us what it's, it's, how, so, how it affects businesses as well. So if we take cyber, cyber crime as a first, so nationally, if you look at our crime figures, crime figures overall, if you exclude cyber crime, are dropping. Cyber crime is the biggest single increasing area of crime across the country. And Cleveland is no different for that. And, and what I find when we talk to business, especially businesses in the digital sector, lots of people who don't work within that space have no understanding of how vulnerable they can be and there's lots that they can do there's lots of small changes that businesses can make and what we're doing is we want to bring as many t-side businesses together as we can with cleveland police and and sort of say this is what's available to you this is what you can do yourself this is what we can do to help you and bring cyber businesses in to say well then your next level of expertise is this. If you need more security, then these are your options for you. And I see my role as PCC as a, as a conduit between the business sector and the policing sector, because that's something we've never really touched on before. And I think there's so many opportunities for local businesses to work with, with myself through some of the partnership organisations we work with, to work with Cleveland Police to see what's available on offer. Because ultimately, if businesses are successful, 
we drive the economy up and if we drive the economy up we drive crime down so wherever you find affluence wherever you find a strong local economy you see less levels of crime than you do in some of the more challenged areas that we have here in Teesside. Okay, well, let's talk about the, the specific cybersecurity element. This is a new type of crime. It's something that's really built up over the last 10 or 15 years. I suppose that, you know, traditionally people will understand the need to lock their front door. They will understand the crime prevention officers. They remember in the 70s and 80s, they used to go around advising people to shut their windows and, yeah. and get double locks and things like that. Is this the business cyber equivalent of the crime prevention officer? Absolutely, and, and just a couple of years ago, we, we saw that right here on our doorstep with, with Redcorn Cleveland Council, who was a massive organisation, um, had generally good systems in place, but they were still targeted and their systems were effectively closed down and locked off by a cyber attack. That ultimately cost millions, cost, cost the government millions, but also cost the council millions and ultimately the people of Redcorn Cleveland millions to get back on track. Now, there are things that could have been done prior to that that would have made it much more difficult. Um, and that's not to say Record did anything wrong at the time, but these things move at pace, and I'm sure we'll, we'll hear that as well. What, what's safe and secure today might be an open door tomorrow, and, and that's what we've got to get across to businesses. So you've got the Police and Crime Commissioner for one of the areas you serve uh, here, Damien. Uh, what, what do you think about this initiative, and, and how does your business help uh, firms in this area to deal with this uh, threat? I think it's really good, I think, for what we're seeing kind of at Bongate IT, is we are seeing a lot more targeted attacks on businesses whereby they know who works in the business and the attacks are specially crafted to target individuals by name and they come through and they look genuine and until you start digging it becomes really really difficult to say oh hang on we need to pause this where we're finding a lot of businesses are lacking is end user education mm -hmm. end user education is really the key to stopping these incidents happening. You can build all your technology tools on top of it, but until you educate your end users, they're your biggest risk at a business. <coughs> I had a, I had a, a case uh, known to me uh, of a business had just recruited a new member of staff. The new member of staff had put on LinkedIn that uh, she had joined that business and she received a uh, targeted email notionally from the boss of that business who she didn't know very well saying that she needed to pop down to the bank to uh, or to pop down to the supermarket to buy some google vouchers and it'd be refunded on expenses could she go and do it that's exactly and then you it. got into a fraud i won't go into the rest of the fraud but it was a scam it was partly cyber it was partly a smart hustle which which was ugly and nasty and and the poor woman started her first week in the job with something awful happening to her um so it, 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 i suppose that awareness that the confidence confidence trickster isn't just someone who's gonna i know stop you in the street and and do some kind of three three card trick on a t table it's entirely that it doesn't help the fact that people have been working home for the last two years. People's habits have changed. We're doing more and more stuff online. Everything that we do now is we're connecting together online, shopping online, doing business online. 
there's so many more avenues that the bad actors mm. are choosing to specifically target. It becomes uh, easy for them. The email and the incident that this person I know about, uh, that got through the firm's cyber uh, security system because it was a conventional email from a conventional email address. They're written it in perfect English. Mm. Previously the advice was look for spelling mistakes, look for grammatical errors. They've stopped that. Mm. They've got really intelligent in the fact that will craft an email that gets through the majority of the defences out there. They're not looking initially to infect systems. What previously they used to do with emails was send an attachment that you'd open, it'd infect your system, they gain access that way. That's no longer the case. They're using the individual at the end of a computer mm. as a conduit into the business and hoping that they'll be able to convince them to do several different things. Steve, wrapping up on this section of the discussion, is it possible and to what extent are the police successfully prosecuting these malicious uh, conferences? It's really difficult, really difficult. Just being able to trace them back in itself is a, is, is a massive, massive challenge. So I, I, I'd be lying if I sat here and said it, it was something we had a real good handle on. But it, it is, like I said, it's a, it's a rising crime. And, and it's something that we're, he's taking up resources. And lots of people talk to me and say, well, we don't see as many police on the streets as we used to. And part of the reason we don't see as many police on the streets we used to is because crime is often different. Mm. So disproportionately, we're spending a lot of time on things like cybercrime, on the crimes you don't necessarily see day to day in public. And it doesn't mean that crime isn't happening. It's just happening in a different way. And we've got to adapt and we've got to learn how to to get better at, at helping people spot that. And and like like all crimes, prevention is far better than than catching them in the act. Bob, you're watching in from your business headquarters. Without talking yep. about your business, do you know in your business life of businesses who've been the victim of this kind of thing? You're talking to one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've experienced um, quite an influx of um, what what was explained earlier by the two guys there mm. um, and we've got an ongoing issue as we speak so well, it's frustrating and time-consuming let's yeah, just absolutely. finish by talking about the economy uh, we started by talking about tax and the and having a bit of a whinge about uh, tax and so on oh, that's a given but uh, I also note the employment figures are going pretty well and at the beginning of the uh, session we talked about the latest data on employment um, from each of your perspectives, where are you on vacancies? And uh, for instance, starting with you, Damien, uh, is employment in your business on the up at the moment? It is. We're we're looking for talented individuals to to help us grow as a business. It's difficult. It really, really is. We found that people are asking for more than they were two years ago. Mm -hmm. Working conditions. They're expecting a different type of workplace than they were two years ago. And part of that is the country has grown up to now wanting to work from home mm -hmm. or wanting to work from where's appropriate. It's always, it's not always easy to kind of accommodate that. Mm. It is a very IT thing that though. I know in my own business, which is, we've got people, some people want to work from home, but it appears to be, I suppose it's more creative to business where people co collaborate in a different way. Uh, they want to be in a community of people that's, so maybe it is a sector thing. Potentially. We're also seeing it for our clients as well. Mm. So a lot of our clients are experiencing the same issues with mm. how do we get people working effectively from home. 
it's great we can and it goes back to cyber security we can protect the network mm. we can protect the building and everything around it once we start to break out of that which we're seeing more and more often it's how do we ensure that people are productive how do we ensure that people are safe and how do we ensure that people have got that kind of psychological safety where they can get that support from colleagues that becomes really difficult to manage especially when you spread to the four corners of Great Britain. Okay. Uh, Bob, what about you on recruitment? Uh, you can't work from home when you're driving one of your trucks, but what about the recruitment no. of people? How's yeah, it we, we've got a full full uh, employment record at the moment, So, but obviously we'd be looking for people uh, when the wash plant comes on stream in probably around the, about the September time. So it's but new, at the moment, new we, activity is driving your vacancies. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so we've got a, a long-established workforce here. That, you know, that there's there's guys been here and uh, employed by us for 20, 25 years, and stayed with us for that long. The, the problem we've got at the moment is the inflationary pressures that yeah. we, we're experiencing yeah. with the likes of wage increases and obviously the what we mentioned earlier about the red diesel versus white diesel uh, imposition. Really, yeah. um, but regard we don't have any issues with with employment other than the inflationary pressures. Okay, and Steve, Cleveland Police uh, is a large employer, uh, obviously of police officers and of civilians. Yes. Uh, how does, uh, it's two and a half thousand, I think you said, said to me? Yeah, about between 30 and 40% of our workforce is civilian. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, we're constantly looking for recruitment. We, we've got a number of vacancies um, in, in Cleveland right now, and that's in every sector. And it's things you wouldn't necessarily associate with the police. So, We've got vacancies in IT, we've got vacancies in accounting, in PR, um, you name it. Any any large organisation needs the infrastructure to allow it to run and, and that's where these civilian staff have come forward. So Cleveland Police is a great employer and it's a large employer, like you said. Like you said, there is the best part of 2,500 workforce there and outside of the councils and the NHS, it's one of the biggest employers in the area. And we are constantly looking for good people and it is a challenge. It is a challenge right now and it's that there's a number of vacancies that we're we're struggling to fill and we've got turnover and we're looking to do that and and as we bring more police officers online which is what we're doing at the minute we need the infrastructure to support them as well so we're growing in that manner as well i'm going to close on this question of police officers because we've been going over 20 minutes now so we've got to wrap but uh, off off offline before we came into our studio um i jokingly said to you steve i'm 58 next birthday could I be a police officer? Fully expecting to be, oh, you're too old, you know, you, you, you'll never, you haven't got the energy, you're too old. But actually, I was surprised to hear that you would recruit older people into your police officer cohort. You could be, and we do. Um, there is no age barrier. Um, as long as you pass the criteria, you are medically and mentally able to come in and do that role, we would welcome your application with open arms, Chris. Bob, you and I, that's that's what we do next. If it all goes wrong. You're too good looking, Graham. <laughs> thank you very much. Damien, thank you. Uh, Steve, Bob, and thank you everyone for watching and listening to Business Unmuted this week. We'll be back same time next week.